This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hales, host of the Finding Holy podcast and author of the book, Finding Holy in the Suburbs. Here at the Finding Holy podcast, it's our mission to help you connect the dots between the things that really matter and your everyday holy life. We know you're busy, you're commuting or walking or doing the dishes, and it's hard to actually connect to those deeper parts of ourselves and the deeper truths about the world and God. And so we hope that the Finding Holy podcast is just one tool in your tool belt to help you connect those dots between the things that really matter and your everyday holy life. This conversation with my guest, Mike Cosper, is wide-ranging. We talk about everything from mental illness to being in our bodies to middle age to depression to... What does it look like to actually develop a Christian imagination? You'll want to listen in, but here is a little bit first about my guest. Mike Cosper is the author of several books, including Recapturing the Wonder, Rhythms of Grace, and Faith Among the Faithless. He served for 15 years as the pastor of worship and arts at Sojourn Church in Louisville, Kentucky. In 2017, he founded Narrativo, a podcast production studio, and Harbor Media, a nonprofit producing podcasts for Christians in a post-Christian world. He and his wife, Sarah, have two daughters and live in Louisville, Kentucky. You'll want to listen in because not only will you gain so much from Mike's thoughtfulness, wisdom, and just good sentences, but also I'm going to leave you with one small step so you can begin to take some of the wisdom he offers into your everyday holy life. Here's my conversation with Mike. I'm very excited to welcome a new friend, Mike Cosper, to the Finding Holy podcast. Mike is the podcast host of Cultivated, as well as author of numerous books. And I think Cultivated was probably one of the first like binge-worthy podcasts I listened to. So hmm. it's really fun to have you here. Thanks. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for asking me to come on. Totally. So one book that I loved of Mike's is called Recapturing the Wonder, Transcendent Faith in a Disenchanted World. And it came out a few years ago with University Press. And I'd love to hear what was the impetus for the book for you? Well, it's funny. So there's there's a funny story to the book because the about three years prior to proposing that book, um, I'd written a book called Rhythms of Grace, which is about... Um, it's about sort of the various movements of the liturgy and how in contemporary churches we can reincorporate and value those things. And so I thought of that as kind of like, here are the, here are the spiritual disciplines of the gathered church. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to then follow up with something that's more or less about the spiritual disciplines of the scattered church. What mm-hmm. do we, how do we, you know. Live throughout we... the week. Right. Thank you. And um, so, I, so I proposed this book on the spiritual disciplines that was very much in line with what I'd done with Rhythms of Grace. And, you know, when you propose a book, it can take months and months before you hear anything back. And so there was yes. this long process <laughs> of, of waiting. And during the waiting period, I picked up a secular age. Mm-hmm. And it just blew me away. 
he so described my own faith experience of kind of, you know, we live our faith, we live our faith under the conditions of doubt at all times Mm -hmm. in a secular age. And so it rocked my world. And, you know, I, I get, I get IVP picks up the book and says they want to do it. And I kind of have to have this awkward conversation to say, well, I actually want to write something that's a little different. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And they were, they were great about, I mean, they were, they were terrific and got the, got the idea right away of kind of looking at spiritual disciplines, um, but through the lens of, of disenchantment and of um, the, the kind of the imminent frame and, and all that, that goes along with Taylor's book. I won't mm-hmm. you with Taylor. It's, it's a really incisive, you know, articulation of, of where we are um, yeah. culturally and philosophically. So yes, if anyone wants to read, a, you know, an 800 page book, go read A Secular Age or read some shorter versions like Mike's book where he's or dealing Jamie Smith's. with, yeah, Jamie Smith's How yeah, Not to book, Be Secular. That book is, it's like the Cliff's Notes for right. it. And it's all you really need to read. Charles' book is too long. So. Right. <laughs> One thing, though, you have a new book that just came out um, called Faith Among the Faithless, Learning from Esther, How to Live in a World Gone Mad. And one thing you said in there, and I was like, ooh, this is really fascinating. You said, I want to make the familiar strange or at least fresh in talking about retelling the story of Esther. And it kind of struck me, that kind of feels like Mike Cosper's project. What do you hmm. think? Yeah. Um, at least part of it. No, I think that's right. I mean, you know, going back to Rhythms of Grace, you know, that was definitely a um, a project where I wasn't saying anything new. I wasn't saying anything right. other people hadn't said before, mm-hmm. but I was trying to speak to a, a different audience than, um, you know, the guys that aren't going to read Brian Chapel and Robert right. Weber and all that. Um, so I think that, I think that's definitely fair. Like, um, I, I think of myself as an interpreter of ideas more than, you know, a, Right. Yeah, more than an originator uh, right. of them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's fair. So how do you or how do we make the familiar strange or fresh? Mm. So much of it comes back to language, right? Like okay. we, have to keep our, we have to keep our ideas fresh, our metaphors fresh. We have to be, um, you know, we have to have an allergy to cliche and mm-hmm. jargon. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... Um, I remember I was writing, writing for the Gospel Coalition, and I maybe I'd written a couple of things for Christianity Today, and um, I got a, I won't say who it was, but I got blown up on Twitter by an editor, yeah, um, who very grumpily kind of went through my article and <laughs> just called out all the cliches and the jargon, and uh, I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, and I literally just asked him, like, what? Okay, how? What? What do I do? How do I make this better? Yeah. And he said, go read uh, uh, George Orwell's Politics in the English Language. Uh-huh. And man, my writing improved 100% after reading that essay. And just the way I think about writing and the way I think about communicating yeah. kind of changed everything. Because um, that's, that's essentially what that article is, what that essay is about, is right. you know, we uh, be allergic to cliche, find a, find a fresh way to say it, mm-hmm. use, use nouns and verbs, um, and trust trust the reader's imagination to carry a lot mm-hmm. of things along the way. What does it look like to maybe even just take small steps towards like reigniting that imaginative impulse that maybe we've lost because we're, mm-hmm. you know, 
worrying about our 401k or, um, you know, the state of political affairs or whatever it is. What are, what are ways to get back into an imaginative space? Yeah, I think a couple of things. Um, I think the ways, you know, I, I talk about this a lot in the book, but I think the ways we, uh, most of the ways we contemporary Christians engage with scripture um, run against the grain of the imagination. Mm-hmm. We're, we're trying to break it down. We're trying to, you know, the, the historical and the grammatical and all of that. And I think all that matters, um, that we need that kind of sort of rational study of the scriptures. Yeah. But that does, that's not transformative, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. I think what's transformative is we take on passages when we read, yep. which is where you take a gospel story and sort of imagine you're in it. Um, you know, this might sound odd, but I think reading fiction is really important. Um, oh, I do too. <laughs> imagination. Yeah, yeah, totally. English um, page two, yes. Please read some more fiction and poetry <laughs> while you're at it, right? <laughs> yeah, poetry too. I, we need we need things that, um, I think the, the practice of reading fiction opens up the imagination mm-hmm. in ways that television, movies, mm-hmm. podcasts, <laughs> other things just don't. Right. Because um, it forces the mind to work in, in mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Those so, are yeah. great. And those are some helpful starting points. And where, um, where have you seen the life of imagination grow, you know, in your own church context or your own place where you felt like, oh, I feel like we're getting it. There's hope for the world. We're not stuck in this kind of flat universe, um, you know, beyond our nine to five. Um, Mm. yeah. You know, it's interesting. You asked that, um, there've been some really, there've been some really interesting things that have happened just in the last few months. And my wife's name is Sarah and Sarah and, and my life. And, um, where we've seen some pretty radical prayers answered. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it started with sort of getting over the hump of being unwilling to pray radical prayers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and we've seen answers to those prayers. And, you know, my wife, she said to me on the phone this, this morning, even she said, you know, she goes, Mike, I don't, I don't feel disenchanted anymore. Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like the 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 sort of the magic of the world is is alive and real mm. um and it's because of a vibrant prayer life and of being a you know paying attention to what happens when when you ask for things and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they happen right so i think that's i think that's significant uh, one of the most significant times in my life was uh i was uh i oversaw uh something called the 930 art center which was I was a pastor at a church called Sojourn and we bought a, an old elementary school and renovated it to be our facility for Sundays. And we didn't want it just to be sitting empty for the rest of the week. So we had this idea that we would, um, we'd build out, you know, we'd use the auditorium as a music venue and built an art gallery, about a 2000 square foot art gallery. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we rented out the third floor as studio spaces and office spaces for everything from like a skateboard company to a documentary film company to this guy who made chairs like all he did was make chairs <laughs> um kind of ron swanson yeah um and uh ron swanson i think that might be the first ron swanson mentioned on the podcast <laughs> love it Go. That's awesome. <laughs> um and having this space where all this creativity was going on all the time and where you know where when you walked in the door 
to your church, you were, the art gallery was the lobby of the church. And so you walked into the door and you walked into this white space that was, um, you never knew what you would see. You know, mm-hmm. we, we showed Christian art, but we showed a lot of non-Christian artists as well. And so it was provocative. It was challenging for people. Yeah. And I think that really, that was a really special time in, mm-hmm. in my life, both for me personally, having my imagination woken up, but yeah. seeing it happen to a whole church was, was really cool. That's beautiful. So here's my question for you. Um, for listeners who don't know, my husband's a church planter. We've been in ministry for a while. So why did you leave kind of vocational ministry? What was, what was that transition like? Um, that's a great question. So, <laughs> Cause I know, I know the poll <laughs> to right. be like, this is, this yeah. is not what I thought I signed up for God. <laughs> yeah, totally. So it's a long story. I was on staff for 15 years. Um, the church had been through lots of transitions. Uh, we became multi-site in 2010. Um, and then in 2015, mm-hmm. we started to break up that multi-site. Um, and to to give more and more independence to the local congregations. So by that time, I was serving on the executive team. Um, I was overseeing our communications department, our visual arts team, our music, mostly our music ministry. That was kind of my primary place. And as those things started to de- decentralize, I kind of recognized they wouldn't have fired me, but it was healthier for the church for me to to find a different space. And mm. it had been a really really difficult four or five years of just conflict and you know unhealth and um mm-hmm. there was big churches get have big problems a lot of times and yeah. we were no exception um so i was tired and yeah. um and so i got this vision for starting uh, initially i got this vision for starting something called the harbor institute that mm-hmm. was going to be you know do a series of events and publications and retreats all around some of the ideas that became we're capturing the wonder, mm-hmm. um, helping people kind of re-enchant their 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 world. Um, so I, I I set out to do that, and ran into funding problems, which we can yeah. can tell you about those too. About that. <laughs> um, but we launched a couple of podcasts. We launched Cultivated, and we did a pilot for a thing called The Devil in the Deep Blue Sea, mm-hmm. and what was interesting was a number of organizations approached us and said, Hey, would you make a podcast for us? And it just felt like God's hand kind of leading me into this other space where Mm -hmm. right now, you know, I'm producing podcasts for a number of nonprofits and, and uh, individuals and organizations. And, um, you know, we're starting to dip our toes into some original, more original content um, as well. And, um, and Cultivated's coming back by the time this podcast airs, Cultivated will be back. So, and Ashley will have been one of our guests. Yay. So. so, yeah, I think it's so interesting to kind of follow, right, the twists and turns of our stories. Was that a loss of identity to kind of step back from the local church in a kind of leadership mm-hmm. pastoral role? And how has kind of some of the own ideas that you then worked out through Recapturing the Wonder kind of ground you in that Mm. transition it was it was a weird transition because it had we had intended to spend about six months transitioning me out of my role and mentoring a couple of guys along the way and all of this and then 
um, kind of overnight, the plans changed. And it was like, no, we, we can go ahead and transition you now. And I mean, they didn't just like fire me. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, and they, they helped fund Harbor for our first, you know, our first two years. And mm-hmm. so they were committed to taking care of me and my family. But it was just suddenly like I woke up on, hmm. you know, I woke up one morning and I had nothing to do. And I, I crashed. I emotionally yeah. crashed. Yeah. I, I had a real deep season, um, deep season of depression. Yeah. Um, and it took it took a lot of time uh, for healing. I had a, I'm thankful there's a guy named Bob Stewart and a guy named Rich Plass who kind of walked me through those mm. through those days as sages and, um, but yeah, when you poured yourself into something so much, you don't. Yeah. I I didn't realize how much my identity was wrapped into it because I felt ready to go. I'm like, this right. is my decision. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about this, um, but it it ended in a way that there wasn't a lot of closure, which I think happens a lot to pastors yeah. is as soon as they decide to move yeah. on, everybody's like, okay, we're done with you. Time to go. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there wasn't much closure. And I think that that piece was wounding and, and um, you know, contributed to how dark that season was. Mm. What kept you tethered to Jesus in that darkness? Yeah. Um, routine. So um, throughout that season, uh, you know, and for years before and, and for most of the time afterwards, I've been in a weird funk for a little bit, but <laughs> you know, I, I, I get up at five in the morning and, and, um, uh, I do I have this practice that I got from Julia Cameron's book, um, yep. of morning pages. So three handwritten pages every morning, rain or shine. Yeah. And, uh, and then exercise and then reading and other spiritual disciplines. And that, that feels like an anchor Mm-hmm. Every day that feels like a way of anchoring and centering mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then being real, you know, I, I remember I, I met with, um, I met with Bob Stewart the first time and I sat down with him and, and I was like, he's like, so why are we meeting? What are we, what are we talking about? And I was like, well, I'm really anxious. And we talked and talked and talked and he asked a bunch of questions and he goes, why do you think you're anxious? And I said, cause I feel anxious. <laughs> he goes, <laughs> he goes, he goes, you're not anxious, you're depressed. And mm. the word had such a like stigma for me. Mm. Uh, I think it does for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I had to kind of lean back and go, no, I am depressed. And then we started to trace my, my life story and I could see these different inflection points in mm. my life where, I'd, where depression had flared up and you know, caused all kinds of problems. I mean, going all the way back to high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think reckoning with like okay i i am depressed and this isn't just like oh you got depressed because of the situation this is like a thing a thing <laughs> that you're going to be dealing with so mm-hmm. we have to be realistic about it so mm-hmm. that having having that mentor having that counselor um mm-hmm. made a huge difference i thank god for him mm-hmm. and like you were saying earlier too like having language right around it mm-hmm. to name yeah. it gave it something, you know, at least so that you're beginning to pay attention to it instead of stuffing it or calling it something different. Right. And being able to take that to Jesus and Mm -hmm. say, Hey, I'm, I'm depressed. I need you to meet me in this. Yes. And, uh, have, you know, it being an honest place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for being honest here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, yeah, because I think 
there's recent stuff in the news at the time of recording this podcast about, you know, World Suicide Prevention Day and a celebrity-ish pastor um, committing suicide. And yeah, I think we, we often feel very stuck in the church um, mm-hmm. and unable to process our pain. Um, mm-hmm. So, And I think a lot of church culture is really toxic when it comes to mental health because they tell people who are anxious, depressed, suicidal, mm-hmm. that their problem is, they locate the problem in the will, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and they locate the problem in in the soul. Yeah. And in so many cases, the problem is the body. Yeah. The problem is mm-hmm. something has gone wrong, trauma has happened, mm-hmm. wired the brain in, in, mm-hmm. in mi- mixed up ways, mm-hmm. and it can require medicine, it can require, you know, certain kinds of therapy it can require mm-hmm. you know i don't know if you've read much about emdr but it's mm-hmm. just like yeah. it's fascinating yeah. what how miraculous this stuff is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and when you boil it down to it this is the problem is the body you know yeah um and so i i think mm-hmm. i think church culture around this stuff needs a lot of work and a lot of mm-hmm. help and i think the church we don't know what to do with bodies very well oh that's for sure <laughs> just generally right Yes. And to realize, you know, how are our churches, how are we, how are our families, you know, how are we helping people be whole people, right? Body, mind, mm-hmm. souls. And one thing also, just pivoting a little bit. Sure. Um, two things. Well, actually, you talk about in, I just wrote down some of these, you have such good lines in your, in your books. So it's, I just, Thank you. yeah, it must be that you read the Orwell essay and it has <laughs> followed you through. <laughs> But you talk about, you know, that the, an enchanted world, right, is that we have beautiful things that point us to a greater beauty. And you talk about feasting and um, several kind of things that we can enact in our body that are beautiful things and sex and laughter and movement. And what does it look like, you know, to, to experience these beautiful things that point to a greater beauty? So my question for you is, if if that's true, and I think it's true, how do we, because here's my tendency. My tendency is to be like, read it. I'm an Enneagram 4. I want to like read into everything. Like everything right. has meaning. Everything has a symbol. Everything right. has like this deeper purpose. So how do you hold that on the one hand of saying, yes, like this feast is pointing to a greater beauty on one hand. And yet on the other hand, not being like everything has meaning. And I'm like so sucked inside myself and my analysis Mm. that I'm not actually like freed up to love other people. Mm. Yeah. I think, um, you know, so, so one of the things with fours and fives, I'm a five. Yeah. Um, and I do a lot of work with people with the Enneagram. I've I've used it as a counseling tool for years. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the interesting things with fours is, and fives both is they have to get into their bodies. Mm-hmm. It takes it takes a lot of work. Yep. Um, so for me in particular, like exercise is super important. If I don't if I don't have exercise happening in my life, I am a scattered, stressed mess because I'm all in my head the whole yep. time. Yeah. Um, so I think it helps to kind of, you know, if that's your struggle, I think finding ways to sort of relocate yourself in your body is, is really important. Um, What about people who it feels like have a very flattened sense of reality, like that they don't have the natural ability to see the thing under the thing. Yeah. Um, I think it comes back to that whole cultivate the imagination. So, you know, 
are you willing to, I have a friend who was exactly that way. He's, he's a three. Yeah. Um, so it's all, it's all function operation for him. And my counsel to him was actually uh, not to be repetitive, but my counsel to him was to start reading fiction. Yeah. And uh, so he spent like a year where for, for the whole year, he'd come to me like once a month and he'd be like, mm-hmm. all right, I read that one. What do I read next? <laughs> right. Check it out. And, and so he read through a series of, a series of novels and, and now he's a voracious. Mm-hmm. Again, it's that, how do you, how do you want to expose the imagination to something new and different um, that, that invites you into deeper places? I think mm-hmm. fiction does that. Yeah. I think going to art galleries does that. Mm-hmm. Music can do that. Music can just be background, but mm-hmm. um, you know, it does require the thing that people often don't want to do is it requires stopping and slowing down. Yeah. And a lot of people don't want to stop and slow down because immediately things start to come to the surface that are mm-hmm. unpleasant. Yeah. And um, so you don't see the deeper things in life if you're not willing to deal with the deeper things in yourself. Yeah. That's a good, that's a quotable. Put that one out there. But no, that's, yeah, right. that's exactly true. Tweet that. Um, yes. Tweetable. <laughs> yeah. And the second thing I wanted to talk about, just this little phrase but it's just, it's, they're, yeah, they're good. They're helping like mull over some things. You talked about wanting to be part of conversations that are driven by joy. Mm-hmm. How does that look like when, yeah, you're running your own business right now, right? You're a husband, you're a father, mm-hmm. you're involved in your local place. Joy can feel pretty far off um, mm-hmm. past duty and anxiety right. or depression. You know, those things can sometimes come a lot quicker sure. to the surface. What are the things that you do to find the joy? Yeah. And that's a great question. I don't know that I have a great answer to that question. Right. Or what now. could you do? Or what? Yeah. What, what sh- <laughs> maybe the question <laughs> should be, what should I be doing right now? <laughs> more joy in my life. In this, in this season? Well, I, you know, I've, I've just been realizing I was talking with my sister-in-law and I was like, am I growing into health and being more stable? But like, I don't feel those as much the, these Mm -hmm. highs and valleys, or is this just this journey of middle age? Like, I don't know what's like, is this healthy or is my main numbing? Um, Because there's just a lot to get done during the day. So I I think there is something to, uh, to middle age that, Mm -hmm. that does that. And I think, you know, you see a lot of, I've seen a lot of my friends who are roughly my age or a few years older go on kind of a deconversion journey right. of some sort, whether it's leaving evangelicalism or leaving Christianity altogether or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, leaving spouses, leaving families. Yeah. Um, Cause I think there is something to the way we experience time as we get older yep. um, where there is less of this like exciting up and down. And, right. Um, and so I think, um, yeah, I think there's something to, about age that makes us a little, a little less joyful. I think the other thing I've encountered, I've, I've realized this with food lately, is that mm. um, food's a challenge for me. I like it a lot. <laughs> I probably like it too much. Yeah. Um, and I've I've had this phrase in my head that I just am trying to sort of make a mantra while I'm trying to eat healthier. That every every food every meal doesn't need to be a feast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know it's, that sometimes a, a ham sandwich is okay, yep. or a horrible tasting salad is necessary. <laughs> right. Um, 
but I think that's true with kind of all of life. Like yeah. sometimes we crave, like it, we get so used to yeah. spectacle and, and getting hyped up and worked up, whether it's at church or in our, mm-hmm. you know, in entertainment or whatever, um, that, you know, we never have, we never have a, we never have low enough lows and quiet enough quiet mm-hmm. that, um, that when j- opportunities for joy come, we're able to sort of embrace them and, mm. and recognize them. Yeah. And I think it's much, joy is a very childlike stance that I think yeah. is harder to as we age. Yeah. And because I think age, you give, you give yourself to it. Yeah. And I think age, you lose trust in people and um, yeah. you, uh, Bre- Brene Brown has this great, thing she she does i listened to a workshop she did mm-hmm. and she says uh she says okay i want you to imagine a family um and they're getting ready to go to the beach so the husband's packing the car and the kids are getting sunscreen on and the mom's packing a, a cooler and everybody's real excited and they, they go out to the car they get in the car and they head off down the highway to the beach what do you think happens next and you know some some tell me you know just tell me what happens next and so several volunteers like a kid throws up, you know, they right. get in a car crash, you know, yeah. and everything she, is negative, right? Is where we go. <laughs> yeah. And what she's, you know, what she said that was, I think is so insightful is we don't, um, we don't expect good for those circumstances because we don't want to be disappointed if they go wrong. Mm. So we walk around anticipating things to go against us all the mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. and it, it robs us of joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know her whole thing is vulnerability. Right. So the, the answer is this: it's it's vulnerability. It's willing a willingness to say, uh, like, okay, I'm going to hope that this goes well. Yes. <laughs> That's a very vulnerable place. Yes, to live in hope. Yeah. Absolutely. So here's to more conversations driven by joy. I think that's yeah. a, a lovely phrase. And so as we close out, Mike, I would love to talk more about, yeah, the deconversion stuff in middle age. I think that's fascinating. So anyway, but I would like in the interest of time to ask you about your laundry routine, (laughs) because I think, you know, here at the Finding Holy podcast, we're trying to connect the dots between the things that matter, things like mental health and being enchanted instead of disenchanted about what does it look like to love people, to cry for help, where's God in the darkness and our everyday ordinary lives. Yeah. So laundry matters. So what's your right. laundry routine? So to explain my laundry routine, I have to reveal something about myself. Okay. That I don't think I've ever revealed publicly at this oh, point. It's an exclusive. It's an exclusive, <laughs> which is that I do hot yoga. Uh, nice. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I That's have, your uh, exercise. That's yeah. That's my exercise. It's my my secret superpower. Nice. Um, uh, I actually started doing it during that season when I was when I was so depressed. Yeah. Um, because Bob, uh, you know, sent me this article about how, you know, it's hot yoga in particular is kind of miraculous with for people right. who are battling depression. Yeah. So, um, so I've been doing it for about three and a half years. Love it. Recommend it to everyone. Awesome. Um, apologies to those who think that I'm communing with demons. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, because of that, the the sweat situation yes. is pretty disgusting. Yeah, it's a thing. So mm-hmm. if, they, if those clothes sit for more than 24, 48 hours, you, you don't want to go They're anywhere. They're done, so, yeah. So I'm doing laundry. Uh, I'm doing laundry 
probably three times a week yep. um, to stay to stay up on it. And then um, during football season, I do all of my ironing on uh, Sunday during there football you go. games. So you um, iron too. Iron. That's that's impressive. Only during football season. Okay. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> that's awesome. So how is how do you find God then in your in your laundry? Or maybe wow. find him in, in hot yoga. Um, well, uh, it's easier to answer the yoga question, which is there, there is something about kind of body breath movement yeah. that very much centers you and, and very, is very clarifying of your thoughts. And so, um, you know, it is, for me, it is a spiritual discipline, but it's, mm-hmm. Again, I'm, not that I'm communing with demons, but, right. but I'm experiencing the presence of God in the midst right. of these um, sometimes very strenuous things. Um, so finding, finding God in my laundry, I can't say I figured that one out yet. That's okay. It doesn't have to be, you know, I am trying to find all of the metaphors underneath all of the things. But yeah, yeah. But I think, right, it's, it's part of saying, you know, this is part of the cleanup, too, of, of the strenuousness mm-hmm. of and the discipline of, of the yoga practice. Right. It's not just, it's not always, yeah, the meeting with God and, and all of the high points, right? There's, there is a work to be done too. That's right. Absolutely. Well, thank you for being on here. It was a pleasure to chat with you. I appreciate your work. Thanks again. Thanks so much for having me on. It was great. Friends, I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Mike Cosper. Go ahead and scroll on over to the show notes. Make sure you pick up a copy of his book, Recapturing the Wonder. You can also listen to his podcast, Cultivated. And he and I had a conversation over there. So be sure you listen in to Cultivated with the episode called Finding Holy. Anyway, friends, I hope that you've had a few insightful moments as you've listened to Mike share from his own experience, whether that's about depression or yoga, or whether it's about leaving a church and what that looks like, and how do we chase joy, and how do we encourage a Christian imagination. And it's easy for those things to be abstract. So I'm going to leave you with one small step to begin to take those ideas into your everyday holy life. And this time it's a two-parter. And the first is, I would love if you thought about what is the one maybe state or mood or state of being that you are having a hard time accessing. It might be that you have a hard time naming depression or that you realize that you're busy doing so many things that you've lost joy. So name that one state that you feel like you have a hard time accessing. And then I want you to pick one activity that you feel might give you just a little bit of an entree into that state. So whether it's a walk where you capture beautiful things that you notice on your phone, or maybe it's a conversation with someone and you purposely leave the phone in the car so that you can be 100% present with them. Or maybe it's going to an art gallery or observing a hawk flying overhead. Simply allow yourselves a new pathway to access some of those imaginative impulses that maybe just being a little bit older has sort of dulled. 
I'd love to hear how it goes. You can always contact me at findingholypodcast at gmail.com. You can go ahead and look me up on social media at AA Hales. And I would be so honored if you just took one second to rate and review the Finding Holy podcast on iTunes. It helps other people find great conversations just like this one. And friends, I wanted to also let you know, coming up in November, we have a whole series all about place. I'm going to be talking with some special guests, and we're going to have a ton of giveaways. So make sure you're subscribed so that when those episodes drop in November, you won't miss a thing. Because big things matter, but so does the laundry. This episode was brought to you in part by the Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.